morning, church. All right. Well, it's good to be here with the family of God and do another Sunday with everybody. I just, I love this church. I want you to know how much I love this church. Nicole and I, uh, where's my wife? (laughs) Over there. Okay, praying for somebody. Okay. (laughs) She's right there for a second ago. Um, We we had planted the church, Nicole and I and our family, uh, about, let's see, eight years ago, uh, nine years ago, actually, and then about like eight years ago, we launched officially after a year of planning and training and praying uh, over the city. And, you know, it has really been an incredible journey. Uh, I've, we've been a part of this movement uh, called Antioch for 14 years now. Uh, and we, about three years, I was a youth pastor uh, over in the Daytona area and then was invited to plant this church here. It has been an incredible, fun adventure uh, to walk with the Holy Spirit uh, and see God just do incredible things. And so I know that uh, many of you guys, I, I see, are standing up right now, and I can't find a seat. If you can try to squeeze in, if you can try to move in, and if you, if you can, if you want to sit, it's great. There are more seats available. But I just want to say this. I, I'm not going to... Uh, prolong this anymore, but we've got very good news to share this morning, um, and we are moving. We're moving. We're moving. So it is. It is exciting. Uh, I we won't have to stand anymore in the back awkwardly, um, but I'm just so thankful. It has been quite a journey, actually, and I want to bring you guys into. The journey, uh, because it is, uh, it, we're a family, and you need to be brought into the family affairs, what, what God is doing within our family. It's very important. And so, uh, it, uh, probably about a year ago, we're sitting in the back of Canterbury near the, there, near the lake, and uh, I think it was exactly a year ago, where it was the springtime, we're saying, God, where do you ha- what do you have for us? John Evans is uh, is getting to the point where we can't really fit there anymore. I mean, they only fit about a little over 200, and we we're about to max out there. And then, of course, the pandemic happened. And then we uh, I'm so thankful for this church, for Fountainhead, and what they've allowed us to do here. We literally would have not have met since August uh, if it wasn't for this church just being very generous to us and, and blessing us with this place and, and really matching the same price that we spent at John Evans which is ridiculously cheap. We spent about a little over $2,000 there. And so <laughs> there's a, a, one opportunity uh, about, uh, maybe it was right off of Alafea by Granville Apartments, if you know where that is. We always wanted to stay within the city limits, Oviedo. We're pretty much set on that. This is where God's called us to, to plant a church, to be a hub. And that was around $10,000. So that would have been a big, big jump, and I, we did not want to burden the people. Uh, that's why we didn't really mention it. We, we talked about it in staff. I didn't want to overwhelm uh, and constantly get up here and ask for more money and more money. I mean, it just, I, I don't want to do that. Uh, we just want to trust God. We need, there needs to be a measure of faith when we move into that next level, but I don't want to burden the people. don't want it to become about money and building, et cetera. And then uh, three doors literally shut on us. One was RTS. 
which is around the same amount of money, I think, was 10000 a month or so or something like that. And then uh, there was another place to uh, Jackson Heights, which is the door just kept closing. We, we have a relationship with the city uh, and with the mayor of Oviedo, and she had suggested that place. It just didn't work out quite like how we thought it would. And so we were back at ground zero again. But we knew deep inside, we knew that God had a place for us. I mean, of course he did. He birthed this church. This is his church and he's gonna take care of us. We don't have to try hard. We don't have to manipulate. We don't have to do any of those things because we trust God. And so uh, just I, this week, literally Monday, Monday morning, um, uh, Jessica, our administrator, she, she went over to and talked to, uh, it, it's all through, if you're, gonna, if you're gonna do a school, it's all through Facilitron. So you have to do this, it's a fancy name. Uh, and you really don't talk to people anymore, so you have to do it through a computer system. And, and so Oviedo High School opened up, and we were thinking, okay, what's this going to cost? You know, Oviedo High School. I, I, there it is, OHS, back to high school days. Um, and oddly enough, this, this place was vacated for seven years, and we wanted this place early on before we got John Evans. And when we, just a little bit of, history, when we got into John Evans, or when I, when I first called John Evans uh, Elementary School right off of Chapman Road in Alafaya, um, our first place that we got into, they, they said, the principal there, she, was, uh, she is no longer there now, but she said, we've been waiting for 13 years for a church to come in here. And so we were like, man, this is, this is God. You know, this, you just knew it. And, and we only had, uh, we just started with 40 people or so, you know, and so I don't know how we're going to pay the bills. And, and, uh, and God just opened up that door and we're so thankful for that. But Oviedo High School, um, I want to I give you five, I guess, reminders for you why every time you drive to Oviedo High, which we're going to be doing, in th- we're moving in three weeks. This is fast. Okay, for Easter Sunday. We'll be there for Easter Sunday. And this is all the Lord. I mean, we, this is moving fast. Uh, just a couple of favor points. They are giving us uh, two free hours. They're giving us four free classrooms. And um, they literally want us there. They're begging for us to be there, the vice principal. And so I, I'm just, I, this, is, this is God. This is one of those, like, I, oh God, we need to see you move. I mean, we know there's a faith element, and there is. And we'll share with you some of the faith portions there that you guys can be uh, praying for and then also potentially even give to you if you feel the need or feel compelled to. So the address is 601 King Street. And I want to give you guys a couple of vision points for this place. And as I was praying through it, this, I mean, this is a matter of all, this last few days, okay? And I, you know, we started at 100 East Chapman Road. And that's, we lived in, uh, Nicole and I and our family, we lived in three different spots within a triangle, if you map it out, right next to the school there. And we would, I, I don't know how many hours, I think it was something like 60,000 minutes or something like that, or I don't remember what it worked out to be. It was about seven years worth of praying for the neighborhood and running every day and praying for that neighborhood. It was very saturated with prayer. And, and then God gave us a little bit more of a history of Oviedo and that uh, back in 1912, there, uh, there was celery farmers and carrot farmers that came from uh, Slovakia and then moved to Cleveland, Ohio. And around that time, the 
the governor of, of Florida actually said, hey, come down to Florida and be uh, and till our land. And, and so they, they were revivalists. They were crying out for revival in Oviedo saying, God, may this be a place, may this be a hub. And, and so we're literally just standing on their shoulders. We're not the originators of this, guys. And I think that's important because it, it, that inspires me and that little church, if you go down Chapman Road, West Chapman, down until you hit dead ends there at LF, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, 426 Aloma. And there's a little tiny church, you miss it. On one side is St. Luke's on the right-hand side. As you turn left to Aloma, there's a, uh, there's a cemetery there and there's a little church there. It looks like a little shed. And we would go in there and we'd pray as a church and I'd go in there at times just spend time with the Lord and pray over it. And uh, I'd often be reminded of, uh, there's, a, there's a, a tombstone that said John C. And it would remind me of my, you know, my death <laughs> one day. <laughs> and Solomon said it's better to go to a cemetery than to weddings, you know. So um, thought it would just be biblical and, and go to the cemetery and pray. But I would be praying. They have pictures up on the wall of the, the, the original revivalists of Oviedo. And I would be standing on their shoulders just saying, God, we are praying the same prayers. In fact, the prayers that didn't get answered in your generation, may they be answered in mine, in ours. And so we are a part of something way bigger than, than just this church called Antioch. And so as I was uh, praying through and just asking God for land and really believing God that he would give us our own land, I, I, I never at the same time did not want to burden people with building projects and they're endless and we get into debt and all those things. And so there was always a part of me that said, I like the school idea as long as we can stay in there, as long as the government's okay in us doing that. I, I would love to take advantage of that so we could put more money towards missions. We put more money towards ministry and that we, we don't have to maintain a building Monday through Saturday, right? And we'd, we would, use, of course we would use it and we would, we would but I, I wanna put, uh, more money in, into missions rather than into building. And so 100 East Chapman was significant for us for a number of reasons. One, it was just a humble place to grow. Even the number, I remember walking across, literally we lived across the street, that brick wall that's there on the right-hand side, we lived right up across the other side of that brick. You could literally hop over and go to church. That's one thing we miss is just walking to church. That was fun for those years. And we'd walk across the street and I would see the number 100 and it would just remind me, God, give us our first 100 in this church, in this place. And I, again, there's nothing significant necessarily in the number or anything, but God was just showing me again that he wanted to grow this church. Isaiah 54, two and three says, he'll spread us abroad. He'll, he'll, he will deepen us as a people, but will also lengthen us. He'll lengthen the cords, stretch the tent. He was gonna bring more people into this family but he's also gonna strengthen us. He's also gonna strengthen the 10 pegs and bring us deeper into his word and uh, deeper into fellowship and community. Number two is that when we moved into this place, uh, again, nothing super spiritual about it, but this address is 190 Oviedo, West Oviedo, I believe it is, right? 190 West Oviedo Road. And one of the uh, significant things is is that we only could really max out here about 190 or 200 people, and that's it. And people ask me every week, I think even last week, they were saying, you need to be considering two services. I will not do two services. <laughs> I do not want to split the church that way. I'm not, again, I'm, I'm 
kind of stick to my guns in these. I'm a little stubborn. A stubborn Italian is what I am. But I, 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 I'm not doing two services. I'm going to believe God for a bigger place so we can fit the whole church in. You know, it's just right. Um, and so I, you know, I, but it seemed impossible, honestly. And I knew that all these schools were taken, Haggerty's taken. I mean, where are we going to go? I mean, we have searched this thing. In fact, one of the churches that I've been talking to, their pastor, they just bought a church uh, in, in the city. And uh, it was an old church in the, the farthest north and the farthest west you could possibly go in Oviedo. They bought a church there, property. And, and so they're moving there. And he said, we have searched everything in this city. And I mean, this is supposed to be encouraging, for him, uh, not for me. I was like, <laughs> I'm like, what are we going to do, Lord? And but then I just, it's always those those but God passages. But then God is going to move, and I just held that. I held on to that that He was going to do it. And if He was going to grow this church, Mike, He's going to give us a new building. In other words, I'm not going to fight for the new building and then demand God grows the church, right? We're just going to say, God, wherever you have for us, I know that it's going to be plentiful and be right and it'll be good. And so he brought us to King Street. And I think that it's very significant in a number of ways. I want you to remember every time you drive, there are five different reasons why we're there. Number one, King Street is significant because I want you to remember whose church it is. It's King Jesus's. It's his church. This is in our church, Right? I mean, it is in a sense, in an earthly sense. It's our church, it's our place, and, and that's great, but it's his church. He bought it with his blood and the gates of hell won't be able to prevail against it. Number two, uh, just a reminder again of just the passage, Isaiah 60 verses one, 601 King Street. Isaiah 60, this is one of the passages God gave us years ago. Arise and shine for your Lord has risen upon you, upon us. In other words, in verse three, it says the nations will come to your light. God has called us to be a hub. Antioch, which we're gonna, again, just, I, I'm, this is more of a, when preaching is an encounter for myself, that just the timing of the Lord with these passages has been profound. That today we're gonna look at Acts 13 in about a half hour. <laughs> but, Acts 13 is about the Antioch hub and what they're really called to be is a hub for the nations. That's us. That's our DNA. That's who we are. We can never be anything else. We're not meant to, to be comfortable. We're not that comfortable church. We're not called to build a building and just shut the lights off when we, and then go home. Number three, it's in the heart of the city. King Street is smack dab in the heart of who we are. It's, we are called to be in the, in the, in the city, in, in the middle of the city. And you know, it took a while to get there. We were an unincorporated Oviedo, and then finally we creeped into the city little by little over the last eight years or so. Three doors shut, but God opened the door. Number four, it is gonna be all hands on deck. Now, I, I wanna say something to the older people that do not ever complain about setup and teardown. Why? Because we got a bunch of young people here to do the work, <laughs> right? 
But I'd often do hear that. In fact, uh, I heard that a number of times, even this week when I talked to different pastors of different churches, they're finally, we're done with the setup and tear down. You know, everyone's getting sick of it. I talked to one of the neighbors who's moving into another church and they're just tired of it. You're tired of community. You're tired of people working together. Never get tired of that. In fact, what's so interesting, here's a test that what happened at John Evans if we never had that opportunity to set up and tear down? Guys, I think we only had two rainy days in the eight years that we've been in existence of the church. I mean, it's just, (laughs) that's incredible. Um, But when that truck got there at, thankful, I'm I'm really thankful for all those who busted their trucks and now need new cars because of our church. (laughs) But but I, I am so thankful for all the work that's put in here. But Aren't you thankful for the opportunity to get to know one another in this church? I mean, what an incredible opportunity to really get to know each other. It really is the human way to kind of hide behind when you're nervous to get to know people. It's like the bagel or the cup of coffee. When you, when you put up a stand or a microphone and you're, you're moving back and forth, you're getting to know one another and you're, you have common ground together. Church, Jesus, working. It's... We're all in. It's everybody in. That's who we are as a people. Don't ever let anyone take that away from you. And then when we moved into here, the great, the great experiment that we found is that we could just literally shut the lights off and leave. And then all of a sudden, for eight, from, from August to around February, people, I, I watched it every single week. I was, I'd stand here, people would talk to me and a few would kind of scatter out. And then all of a sudden I look up and everyone's gone. I look outside and everyone's gone. And John Evans, you remember those days, people would not leave. They would sing happy birthday 19 times. <laughs> and then and they would eat the stale bread and, and it would just it'd be endless. I mean, the, the, the custodians would be like, leave, get out of here, go home <laughs> or pay me more. Uh, but it was incredible. So much community was built during, the, during those years. It was incredible. And then seeing that deteriorate in some capacity, I mean, this is a blessing, but also at the same time, I saw it as not so much a blessing because people were beginning to get comfortable with cushy seats and just turning the lights off. But then I saw something very interesting. As soon as we announced two weeks ago that we were going back to the old school, every, everybody in, hands on deck, People would not leave. I think people were here till about 2.30, almost 3 o'clock in the afternoon without shelter and the sun beating on everyone's head. Now, given the weather's nicer, but still, it proved the point that when we work together, we stay together. And that is who we are. And I love that about this church. I, it, I, I don't ever want to change in, in that sense. Number five, uh, I, I thought it only held 600 people. So I thought, oh, what a cool little thought that, you know, God wants, you know, 601, we're just believing for, we're, we're not stopping in this place, but we're going, we're going further. God's gonna continue to grow us. Now, again, hear me. We, from the birth and the seed of this church, we never set out to be some mega church. That's never our intentions. That's not our heart. And still today, that's, still our heart. Mega church is neutral. Think about it. It's not, doesn't have any morality 
The people make it good or bad. The leadership does. The, there was, in some sense, a megachurch in the New Testament, in one sense. I'm not going to make a biblical argument for that today. But what I am going to say is that bigger doesn't mean bad or good. There are unhealthy small churches. There are healthy small churches. There are unhealthy bad churches. And there are healthy... Uh, wait, what am I saying? What, big, 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 there are healthy big churches. Yeah, healthy big churches. Do you need a visual? Okay. It's like the quadrant, you know, okay. But... But I'm saying that mega doesn't mean bigger. So when I give you this number, you're going to be like, oh boy, here we go. I've heard this before, maybe if you've gone to another church. But it fits 850 people. And I think here's the vision point to that. Not that we have any intentions of growing there. In fact, I don't want to grow that fast. We've always said, Isaiah 54, we want to grow deep and wide at God's pace. At God's pace. And when that happens, you have a room full of leaders, not one. And that is what we're looking for, a room full of disciple makers. And that takes time. It takes a lot of time to get there. And we'll go and develop that a little bit more as we look at Acts 13. But it is truly a hub. God has called us to be a hub for this city, for the nations, to be a light, to be a lighthouse. And that's what he's called us to. And so just remember those things as you drive through the city there's a few different ways to get there. From my house, it's still eight or nine minutes. It's still the same. But there's a different ways to get there. And oftentimes, I will take different paths to get there just to get to know my city a little bit more. And as I pray on the way to church or as I pray for you guys on the way to church, I think it is important, again, to remember what he's called us to be. And don't be intimidated by that 850. It will be very big when you walk in. It's a, it's a big place. But it's not... It's not overwhelming when you consider the God factor, that God is in this, and we want him to continue to lead this church in growth deep and wide. Is that helpful? So let me give you a little bit of practicals as far as maybe the faith journey part of it. It is going to be $4,500 a month. Um, and we've, we've, we've been able to save 6,500 every month, which has been great. And now we're going to use that money and we're going to use a portion of that surplus to buy a truck. I'm guessing the truck is according to what our administration says is about 10 to 20,000 for a new truck. We're going to need a new truck because of, uh, we can't, we don't want to be burdening our people over and over and over again with, with, uh, with the trailer. Number two is we're going to need new speakers. These won't be able to do the job in that, in that place anymore. Um, and that will cost about 20000 I was I almost about fell over when I saw that and had some crazy charismatic experience. But, uh, but I, I, I was thinking, what, what in the world, 20000 for speakers? And Matt's like, oh, that's nothing. <laughs> nothing. What? We're on the low end of the totem pole there? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not even worth going into that. Uh, this, the signs, uh, we need new signs and some miscellaneous stuff. It'll probably be a total of about 40,000. So if you feel led and... But I also think it's really interesting how God's calling us to move in this season before we then go overseas again. 
and spend a lot of money. Um, and just FYI too, the, the missions budget is the largest budget that we have, the largest item on our budget, $100,000 we have in missions and we use it and we just can't keep getting more. I just like, I, I'm, I, I'm amazed at how much money keeps coming in and we keep shoveling it out uh, because this is our heart. And we're, that vision, God is funding the vision. And it's just an encounter every week with the Lord and just watching that happen. So, of course, our finances are, we're very transparent with them. You could always ask about them, but we just, we, we want to be open and honest about what's happening. And I don't think that this number, considering the fact that you can fit 850 and they won't, as far as I know, they won't really increase that number, 4,500. That's incredible. You know, you could do with that money around the world. That's incredible. Um, as you increase the people in the church, these 300, 400, 500, that bottom line number won't change. You can do a lot with that kind. You can send a ton of missionaries overseas. And uh, Bill Wolf, uh, the uh, Jesus film here, a partner here in Orlando, he heads up Jesus film, if you guys have heard of them with crew. Uh, he will be in next week for ADS, so please come to that. Um, and he's got a lot of great vision for the nations and reaching unreached people groups. And so we're going to need a lot of money to, if we want to finish the task. Sound good? All right. Well, three weeks. Here we go. New building, new place. It's going to be exciting. If you can, try to sit close. I don't want like all these people all over the place. And, but, you know, we, if we've done this in COVID, we can, we can do it. It's, it's all good. Um, all right. Well, let's pray and, and get into Acts chapter 13. All right. Father, we, we thank you for for what you've done, you've led our church so well. You really have. It's your church, King Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you've, you really have expanded us deep and wide. The, the vision of Isaiah 60 of bringing people here from all nations have really come to, uh, to this light. People from overseas, different places that we've even visited, they've come here and and just love this church, love the people in this church. And just even our speaker yesterday from an ADS in Dubai, just in tears saying, this church is truly a light. And God, we thank you for that, that truly it is you. It's you. God, keep us humble in these days. We fought, we've definitely fought battles this whole year. And I think we're on the side of victory. We're beginning to see just the fruits of of what the word of God does and what it does in people. We're beginning to see leaders being developed and growing up here in this church and uh, new marriages and families and kids and truly has been a, an honor to pastor, pastor this church and to be a part of this family. And God, we do pray for many more years that we get to see your kingdom expand in cities and nations God, we thank you for what you're doing in this house, but God, I, I pray for, for more, more houses around the world, more families, more churches, that, we, that people would get a call. And even this morning, as we look at the hub of Antioch, that we would truly see, again, your, uh, your calling, how you call people, how the Holy Spirit sets apart people 
for the work of missions around the world. And I pray that people even this morning would get a heart for it, be set apart, and be called to finish the task in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's go verse 1 in chapter 13. Now, there were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and then, and then sent them away. I have a few quotes that I want to give you guys this morning that I thought were really good for missionaries. You know, there's nothing like being a part of this church. You know, I, I know that churches have all sorts of different visions. Perhaps some of them are to uh, maybe make people more comfortable, more in the, more in the uh, temporary earthly sense. Some are uh, just uh, equipping saints to, uh, with the word of God, but not necessarily living it out uh, in missions. Perhaps it's a social club, a hangout, etc. But what I love about Antioch, not our name so, to, so much, is the true Antioch church, which is in modern day Turkey. They, these guys lived it out. They were people who uh, weren't just interested in, in equipping the saints, but they were also interested in, in reproducing this message across the globe. I love what, this says, what one missionary says. He says, believers who have the gospel keep mumbling it over and over to themselves. Meanwhile, millions who have never heard it once fall into the flames of eternal hell without hearing the salvation story. One says, today Christians spend more money on dog food than missions. That's sort of convicting. Another one says, we talk of the second coming, but yet half the world has never heard of the first. I love all the sounds. (laughs) The best remedy for, for a sick church is to put it on a missionary diet. Isn't that good? Keep the people on mission and the church will be healthy. We've said that for years. Another one says this, the true greatness of any church is not in how many seats it has, but how many it sends. It's how many it sends. Let us be known by that. And I'm really believing this morning that someone's gonna get, a few of you, perhaps many of you, will not just get a call to short-term missions, which all of us are called to, by the way. But some of you will get the call to go and lay your life down. The characteristics of the Antioch church was one of an international church. In fact, the Hellenistic Jews who fled Jerusalem were the ones who started that church. They began to reach out to people who were not like them. They began to reach out to uh, people, the foreigners in the city and they planted the church they were also generous. You find this in Acts chapter 11, 27 to 30. They were generous and they sent that money that they raised back to Jerusalem. Barnabas and Saul came uh, in Acts eleven twenty six. They began to teach and preach and um, bring um, more depth to that church. They were obedient to the Great Commission. They continued to go. 
But I want to talk to you guys about five, if you're taking notes, which I encourage you guys to do every week, to go back to. There's five things that this church did. Uh, They produced, I guess you could say, five different things. They produced, one, a plurality of leaders, of solid leaders. Now, get the word plurality. They, they, they raised up a plurality of leaders, and we'll, we'll unpack that in a moment. Number two is they, they raised up leaders with character and integrity. That is very important, especially today, as you see so many playing musical chairs, and people are losing their chair moment by moment in the news. Three, they produced missionaries. Lots of them. Four, they produced the right kind of opposition. Guys, I do think that right now we are entering into, it just, look, I, I, I'm very careful on the subjective feeling stuff. But I don't know about you, but I, I, it seems like God is shifting us into a new season. And I even, I, we were talking about this as a leadership but I want to be careful. I want to stay humble. Stay vigilant. Stay on your toes. You can enjoy the pasture, but know that the wolves are lurking. Stay close to the shepherd. And number five, they produce bold leaders who speak truth in the midst of opposition. So number one, verse one, they produced a plurality of solid leaders In Acts 6, verse 4, they devoted themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. There are people in the church who are called to the prayer and the ministry of the word. We've established that a few chapters back. Acts 6, 3, but then they selected from among them seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom to handle other affairs. So God, uh, he's very specific. God wants us to raise up strong leaders And here, write this down. The strength of the church depends on the strength of its leaders. The strength of the church depends on the strength of its leaders. How many believe that? How many have been in churches where that's true, both positive and negative? That we want to raise up the next generation of leaders. 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 3 It says, if any man aspires to be in the office of overseer, it is a fine work. Notice that the word aspire, it is a good thing for men to want to be an elder or feel called to be an elder. That is a good thing. A lot of us maybe talk, there's a balance there, right? Oh, don't be so overly ambitious. You know, sometimes that's true, right? You know, some of us can be overly ambitious. We maybe are, we are going to it for the wrong reasons, but God is also saying equally on the other side to aspire to that leadership, to that level of leadership to lead God's flock. And there's a plurality. There's also no limit to elders. Right now we have what is called elders and deacons in training. You've maybe heard me say that. We have about 12-ish people on that list and it's growing. And God is growing our leadership. But many of these men have been with us. I mean, probably some of us, seven or even eight years. And we believe that you're not supposed to raise people up too soon because That is a foothold to the devil, which we'll read here in a moment. It's a fine work, fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, 
respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentile, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. This is a tall order, isn't it? But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? He is not to be a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So clear, isn't it? Who God is calling to be the leaders of his flock. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sore gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with clear conscience. These men must also be first tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. So they need to be tested. There's a testing, there's a season, there's a development of leaders. And that never ultimate really ends. No one, no leader, one leader ever arrives. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Now we hold in this church, now preaching just again, as a reminder, it is proclamational, but it's also teaching. It also has to do with teaching. It teaches doctrine. And as we as a church, we hold to this truth that elders are to be men. And that's God's plan. It's very clear in scripture, but also deacons can be women. So both men and women, according to this passage. Now, this has been a long debate and you can read lots of dissertations, and you can read lots of books on this, but this is what the Bible says, and this is where we stand. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 5, 1-4 says, Therefore I exhort... The elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording, this is key, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. How many leaders will lord it over or control the flock? That is not what elders do but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfolding crown of glory, or you could also uh, say that he will come and judge those who lead the flock. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I'm not really called to be an elder, so this is irrelevant for me. That might be true. The first part, but it is relevant to you. All of the word of God is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correction. So where do you come in? You come in in this. You hold the leaders accountable to the standard of the word. And all of you have that responsibility. We are open to criticism. We are open to feedback as a leadership that is important. And that is established here even in this message. And because there was lots of leaders and they, you'll see they disagreed with one another, even amongst each other. But it is healthy to have feedback. 
but as long as it's done in a rightful manner, as long as it's done, if there's ever uh, in Timothy, it talks about, which we don't have time to, to unpack today, but we have in the past, that when there's disagreement with leadership, make sure that you have one to two witnesses before you just make accusation. And you're patient and you're praying for leaders consistently. Ephesians, here's the diversity of leadership. That was the qualification, the diversity of leadership. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the works of service. So our job is to equip you to do the work of ministry. If we are doing our job as leaders, then you are enjoying the walk with Jesus. You're enjoying living out your faith with power, with boldness, with skill. That is our job to equip you to do the work that Jesus has called you to, to the building up of the body. That's also a calling to equip, to strengthen your faith until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge underlying the son of God. In other words, yes, there's a knowledge element because the more we uh, unpack the word of God, the more you know God, the more integrity and character is gonna be in your life. You know, I've often, if people say, man, there's just so much joy, there's so much uh, vitality in life. And people are like, how does that happen? You know what? I don't always point to family. I point to the word. When a church, you show me a, a church who is strengthened in the word, then I'll show you a church full of life. Amen. <laughs> Young elder. To a, to a mature man or woman, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Who wants the fullness? That was Paul's objective. Galatians 4.19, Colossians 1.28 and 29. He worked hard and tirelessly so that the people would be, uh, grow up in the fullness of Christ. That is the goal. That is the job, not to please the, 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 the people, but to equip the people. It is important so that when they're the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of God, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by the every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitfulness of scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So what happened here? They, the church was given prophets. In Ephesians 2.20, this was the foundation. The, they, they were, the apostles and prophets were foundational. According to Ephesians 2.20, saying, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So in other words, when Agabus was there back in Acts chapter 11, when he came to Antioch, he was coming down and he gave a prophetic word uh, to the church. So there was a level of new revelation from the apostles and prophets in the making, so to speak, and what we have now is the New Testament. Now that the canon is complete, there's no need for new revelation. Now, God does direct us like he did lead us to a new building. We knew that was God. There was a sense that the Bible calls us to be a church. He calls us, this is what the church looks like. But God, the Holy Spirit, will lead us into a building to do church. 
The Bible doesn't say what building to go to, but it gives us principles how to do church, but it doesn't necessarily give us the wife or to marry or, or uh, how many kids we should have or any of those types or what job to take. We need to be following the Holy Spirit and there is a subjectivity to that. What I would like to say and propose to everybody here is let's be a church that 99.9% we are on the foundation of the word. Oh, I mean, we can say 100, right? But just giving you just a, just a, a percentage, which I make up, by the way, you know, these percentages. But 99.9%, okay? But I want to show you that 0.01% of the time is some sort of subjective material in your life, experience. That we're not to lean on experiences or, oh, I felt like God said this. And, you know, three people are sitting at a table. I felt like God told me this. Told me that. I mean, can you imagine the fight that would actually happen even in the midst of our staff? I'm like, oh, I think we should go here. I think we should go here. I felt like the Lord. Well, I had a dream about this. You know, I'd, it'd be a disaster. But we just said, God, we trust that you've led your people through the Red Sea. Then my goodness, you can surely point out the place that we're supposed to go to. We trust you. That's biblical. Now, where to go? I don't know where that, where that is. But for that year, that calendar year, we just said, God, do it. And we, just, we, we reached out to people outside this church to pray for us. And people spoke things in. And, and we just knew it, that God had a place for us. And he's not into buildings. Buildings are, that's not the church. The church are the people. And so we establish that as a biblical understanding of church. The p- church are people. And God, I know you have a place for us. And he opened up that door. All right. There's no need for new revelation. We stand on the word. Number two is God gave us teachers. He gave us teachers. The teachers preached the word of God, which was prophecy. Now, when you see the word he gave prophets, in one sense, he still does give us prophets, but they proclaim the word of God. And teachers teach the word of God. They take you deeper. They unpack. And this is what he gave us. So 1 Thessalonians 5.20, do not despise prophetic utterances. Now, the charismatics, they will make argument that prophetic ministry is still in tack today or still to, it, it, he still gives us prophets and new revelation because of it. Don't despise the prophetic utterances, but you forget that in context, Paul is talking to the Thessalonians who he had just previously uh, talked to the Bereans and the Bereans in Acts 17, what, did they, what were they all about? They're all about testing the prophetic utterances of Paul to make sure that it lined up with scripture. So what happened was things got really messed up in Thessalonica. False teachers started coming in. People started saying, this is this new revelation and started messing things up. And he's saying, look, even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of distortion of God's word, do not despise the word of God when it's preached. That's what he's saying. He said, do not despise that. He's not saying new prophetic understandings or meanings or scriptures or anything like that. He's saying, when you come to church, have your listening ears open because when the word of God is preached, it will change your lives. Number, no, not number. I, I just, I'm just gonna go. <laughs> Forget the outline. Okay, 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21. We have the prophetic word made more sure. If you're like, oh man, the prophetic word would have been so, oh, I wish we could have prophets today that would tell me who to marry. 
They tell me what job to take. I love this. Peter is straight up. He said, look, I was there during the time when prophet, and I'll just tell you this. This is late in the game. It's about 67, 68 AD. This is late. He said, we have the prophetic word that is more sure to which you do well to pay attention to as to the lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. He's talking about the Bible. It's the more sure word. He's saying also that in, in the context, he's saying it's actually a more sure experience because he, if in context in 17, 18, the, the few verses above, he's talking about the transfiguration. He's talking literally about when Jesus glowed on that mountain and Peter himself was like, I'll, you know, I'll make a tabernacle for Moses and Elijah and for you, we'll just stay here all day and we'll see you glowing like the sun. This will be incredible. He's saying, you wanna know what's a better experience? The word. <laughs> it's so good. The word of God. You don't need anyone coming in here trying to knock your socks off with all the subjective stories trying to get you going. You need someone to unpack the word. It's very important. Revelation 19.10, if you're not convinced yet, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. What does that mean? I've heard literally charismatics say that this, this, we need to, uh, they, they've, they've literally chopped this verse up in so many different ways. Literally what it means is that the, the, the spirit of prophecy, like a prophetic word, speak about Jesus. In other words, Romans 10 says this, that when uh, faith comes by hearing, the hearing the words of what? Jesus, when the word is unpacked and Jesus is at the center, people's lives change, faith is increased, people go. It's incredible when he's the center of attention, when the word is center. Teaching is instructional, not always proclamational as in preaching. Acts 15, 35, Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. There are five leaders, I'm not going to go too much involved here, but I just want to at least highlight these five leaders. They were a diverse uh, set of leaders for a very diverse church, the International Church in Antioch. One was Barnabas, and he was, how many, how many encouragers do we have in this room? Yeah, a lot. I'm amazed. I mean, one person up here, I literally, I, it's amazing. I was praying and I was worshiping here just about before I came up and I was thinking of this person and, and he came by and it always, always happened that way. He said, Hey, can I pray for you? And I said, sure. Thank you. I mean, it encouraged me. I just, the Lord knows your needs. Even in the, it's ever happened to you. I'm probably it's happened so many times you can't count. It's been so, it's so incredible. Be that encourager. You may, not have, you may not be a son of encouragement like Barnabas was, but you do have, everybody is called to encourage. Be that encouraging leader. 
man, you never know the timing of the Lord of your encouragement to others or the timing of the Lord in receiving encouragement. It's incredible. We have so many here in this room. He helped Paul into the church in Acts 9. He was sent to check on the Gentile revival in Acts 11. He was truly uh, someone who came around the, the apostolic leaders of the church. Uh, Simeon, he uh, also uh, was also called Niger, which means black. He was no, most likely from Africa, a lot of scholars say. He, uh, some actually say he might have been the one who carried the cross of Jesus. Lucius, poor guy, nothing was known about that guy. I'm sure he was important then. <laughs> Menaean, he was a very interesting guy. He was brought up into uh, Herod's household. Uh, and I think that is interesting because uh, someone uh, can't be too far for God to save. The fact that this man was a part of a very evil household like Herod and God changed his life and brought him in and was one of, um, one of the leaders of the most powerful churches uh, in the church history. And I love this too. Many say that he was probably Luke's inside knowledge of how the, the really Herod ran his household. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't probably have a lot of the materials we have today to learn about Herod. And of course, Saul, who's also named Paul, which will, for the rest of now, for Acts, he will be the star and the hero under Jesus. I love what this says. Oswald Chambers, a lot of you know him. He says, leadership training cannot be done on a mass scale. It requires patient, careful instruction and prayerful personal guidance over a considerable time. And we've seen that happen in this church and continue to see it. And if we grow too fast, say something. Hey, I think we're growing too fast. We want your feedback. Disciples are not manufactured wholesale. They are produced one by one because someone has taken the pains to disciple, to instruct, to enlighten, to nurture and train one that is younger. Isn't that good? Always be thinking of the next generation. Number two, they not only produced godly leaders, but they produced, I'm sorry, not only produced plurality of leaders, but they produced godly leaders with character. The word says that they were ministering to the Lord. Ministering means they were serving. Now, this is important. Exodus 28, 41, you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him, and you shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may, key, here keyword, that they may serve me as priests. Do you know if you're a leader, you're serving the Lord? This isn't a show. Acts 20, 19 to 20, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears. This is Paul speaking to the Ephesian church with all trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house. In other words, ministering meant serving God. When if you aspire to be a leader, you're serving God. I mean, even as you're putting a chair up, you're not serving John or serving the elders or serving uh, this church, so to speak, or the people, you're serving God. That's important. Over and over and over again, the New Testament speaks of that. 2 Corinthians 8, 5, they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Notice that. They first gave themselves to what? The Lord first and then to the people. 
And a lot of times we get it mixed up, right? We're, we're wanting to serve people because there's an earthly uh, uh, an accolade to it. There's, there's something in it for us. And then we're saying, oh, well, we're doing it for, for Jesus. We're doing it for the Lord. Check your hearts with that because everybody here is serving God. It also says 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do work, do work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Your reward is in heaven or lack thereof, depending your motive and service. For it is the Lord Christ, Jesus Christ, whom you serve. Guys, that is really important as we move into a new building that we establish this theologically that we are working for him. That this isn't about building somebody's empire. This isn't about us building a name for ourselves in our city. This is about building a name for Jesus. It's about serving him and doing it with such joy and gratitude. And you know what? People are gonna love that. They're gonna notice that. They're gonna wanna be a part of the church. They won't stay away. You know, Spurgeon says this, whatever call, quotes, a man may pretend to have, if he has not been called to holiness, he certainly has not been called to ministry. (laughs) Oh, he still speaks today, doesn't he? Another thing that they not, not only did they serve the Lord or minister to the Lord, which is so key, but they also fasted. There were times of fasting. We don't talk about that too much, but I'll just give you a little insight on, past, uh, on fasting. Nobody likes it. Does anybody like fasting? There's like a new age thing now where, and, and doctors are coming out, all the Germans are coming out with this new research. They're, uh, they're call, they're, that that there's, a, there's a benefit to fasting. So there's all these movements now, just to, it's kind of a humanistic view of fasting, which is very interesting That's not at all what Jesus had in mind. But there are times for intense prayer that people sometimes, you know, you you lose, have you ever had this where you kind of lose your appetite? You're praying for someone, you're praying for a situation, perhaps for a spouse or for a a child or for for the building or for for, for something in your life that, you know, you lost your job and you're just like, I just, these prayers, uh, they're not, they're not working. <laughs> and you're not trying to manipulate God by not eating. You can't do that. But you just go into this intense prayer and, and sometimes you just lose your appetite and, you, and it's not even like, I'm gonna refrain from a meal and look holier than others or manipulate God in some way. That's not at all. But Jesus says something interesting. When you do fast, do you know that it's not commanded in scripture to fast? It's commanded in scripture to pray, to read the Bible, to preach the word of God. There's all sorts of commands, but it does not say to fast. But it says that when you do choose to fast, when God leads you into a fast, rather, anoint your head, wash your face. In other words, don't be showy. Luke 5, 35 says, and they said to him, the disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees also do the same, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus says to them, you cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is still with you, can you? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast in those days. 
So it is appropriate to fast, but it's not some sort of comparison or competition or manipulation of any sorts. God will lead you at certain times in your life to fast. And when you do, bring others into it. That, that whole thing about being showy, that has not, it's nothing to do with you can't tell a soul. You can be legalistic with that. But bring others into that and fast together and really contend because I think that's one of the most humbling things you can do is when somebody's hurting in this church, you say, I'll join you in your fast for your breakthrough. It's one of the most humbling things you can do. All right, number three, produce, they also, Antioch also produced faithful missionaries. God uses the faithful. He uses moving targets. Those who are already doing it, he doesn't use those who are on the sidelines. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting here that in verse, we'll pick it up here in verse three or verse two B. It says, set, set, your, set me apart. Is, is the Holy Spirit saying this? The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then they had fasted and prayed. And then when they laid hands on them, they sent them away. In other words, the Holy Spirit will highlight when someone is supposed to go. Now, we're all supposed to go. He's already highlighted that. He's already given us the nudge to do short-term work. But he's talking about long-term work or that call to ministry, even in the local church. It is his call. You know, this church was not strategy-focused. It was spirit-led. Do you know how much money is spent on books, on models of the church strategies? It's crazy. This church just all they occupied themselves with was with the Holy Spirit. And God gave them the leadership that they needed to change the world. He was sent out by the Holy Spirit, not man. I love that. John Calvin said this, if one is to be considered a true minister of the church, it is necessary that he consider the objective call, the external call of the church and the secret inner call, conscience only to the minister himself. It's both, right? Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, this is something that happens to you. It is God dealing with you and God acting upon you by his Holy Spirit. It is something you become aware of rather than what you do. It is thrust upon you. It is presented to you and almost forced upon you in constant in this way constantly in this way. It was God's hand that laid hold of me and drew me out and separated me from this work. It was Mr. Spurgeon, I believe, who used to say to young men, if you can do anything else, do it. If you can stay out of the ministry, stay out of the ministry. I would certainly say that without any hesitation whatsoever, I would say that the only man who is called to preach is the man who cannot do anything else in the sense that he is not satisfied with anything else. This call to preach is, to put, is put upon him and such pressure comes up to bear upon him that he says, I can do nothing else, I must preach. He goes on to say, you are certain of the call when you are unable to keep it back and resist it. You try your utmost to do so. You say, no, I shall go on with that what I'm doing. I am able to do, do, able to do it and it is good work. You do your utmost to push back and you rid yourself of this disturbance in your spirit, which comes in these various ways, but you reach the point when you cannot do so any longer. It is almost becomes an obsession and so overwhelming that in the end you say, I can do nothing else. I cannot resist any longer. 
Do you have that call? And I know some of us are gonna have a very specific call to ministry. People even in this church will have that call to go to the nations. Perhaps even to plant more domestic churches in our nation. But also just even the call to make disciples on campus. Do you feel that compelling sense of I've got to go. I've got to go. I've got to reap, reap the harvest that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 9. Erwin Lutzer says this, that God's call is an inner conviction given by the Holy Spirit and confirmed by the word of God and by the body of, a body of Christ. I do not see how anyone could survive in the ministry if he felt it was just his own choice. Some ministers scarcely have two good days back to back. They are sustained by the knowledge that God has placed them where they are. Ministers without such a conviction often lack courage and carry their resignation letter in their coat pocket. At the slightest hint of difficulty, they're gone. This isn't for everyone. But you might be thinking, well, tell me something more relevant to myself. This can't be more relevant. Guys, we, can't, we cannot grow the church with the leadership capacity that we have. We need more leaders. We need more people to lay down their lives. You know, and as they laid hands on them, I just want to say just one little side note on this is that there was no power going from their hands to someone else's body. That was literally just a recognition. They were saying, hey, this man of God right here, this woman of God is being sent out to go make disciples and we're behind them. That could just be as, as simple as sending out the college students on campus. That could be sending out new workers into the harvest field in the workplace or overseas. Number four, they produce the right kind of opposition. In ver- verse four it says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they reached Salamis, this is the, the island. They went, reached all over this island. Uh, it's a small island off the coast of the Mediterranean. They began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet, whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsular Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God, but Elymas, uh, which is also Bar Jesus, the magician whose name translating was whose name is translating was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who had been know, who was known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, "You who are full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, <laughs> you enemy of all righteousness, you will not cease to make crooked the straight." ways of the Lord. Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind for you will not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him and it went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, believed are being amazed at the teaching, teaching of the Lord Jesus. Okay, I have a few moments here before we're done. I know we're going over and I'm sorry for that. But number four is they produce the right kind of opposition. And I think that's key that way we phrase that because I want to produce the right kind of opposition, not the wrong. You know, it does say in, in, Titus, or in Timothy, I think it's something interesting that they had a, the leaders had a great reputation with the city. 
meaning that they didn't cause trouble for trouble's purpose. They didn't try to pick fights with the city. In other words, they lived uh, under the government of Romans 13. They lived under authority. They prayed for leadership. They made friends with the city, but they did not compromise in speaking truth. And if they spoke truth and made enemies, then so be it. Does that make sense? It's very important as we establish that theology early because as we grow, understand, when you grow in numbers, you do grow in recognition. You do start getting notoriety and we cannot compromise the truth. They produce the right kind of opposition. They reach the whole city of, uh, whole island of Cyprus from east to west, north to south, and they ran into a magician. A little bit about magicians is they, were, they knew astrology, agriculture, math, and history. They're kind of like the Magi in Matthew 2. They're kind of like those who interpreted dreams in Daniel. They had a lot of power. They would be oversight over the Persian leaders and really even appoint leaders. And now we find ourselves, the term now in uh, early Palestine, uh, first century, this it was more uh, about um, uh, the occult. It was more, uh, not so much interpreting dreams as much as it was dabbling in the cult and darkness, but somehow they would be always next to the leadership. And, and understand Ephesians six twelve. for the struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Understand that behind worldly leaders, the enemy is there. And we have to understand that they are not wicked necessarily in themselves. We, the battle is not against flesh and blood. We don't just cause fights with people. Understand that when we speak truth, the things begin to shake because the enemy, the God, small g of this world, has blinded the minds of people, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And it is an all-out war here that Paul saw. How many guys experienced that on campus? An all-out war for people's souls. Watch the next time that you share the gospel, the amount of distractions there are. Sometimes as you just, you're, you're talking to somebody and you get a phone call or you get a text or you get something going on or you got to be removed from that situation. I mean, this happens over and over. That's why we've got to put equal amount of prayer, if not more prayer in, this, in, in measure to the evangelism time. Even more. And I even heard last week, even on campus, they spent over an hour in prayer just praying before they went out and they were very successful on the field because you can always turn that, turn that back, turn back to prayer. It always comes down to prayer. God moves his people, Amen. not us. And Sergius Paulus was interest, interested. He was an intelligent man. He was a Roman governor in Cyprus. In fact, I love this. There is an inscription. I always like finding archaeological finds because again, it just affirms the word of God. It's the external witness of the scriptures. Internally, it's the Holy Spirit. We don't need the external witness but it is always helpful. They found an inscription in the north coast of Cyprus. They found this inscription that said, the proconsul Apollos. You can trust his word. But he was hungry. And, uh, you know, I think it is worth noting that there's always an opposition outside, which has to do the war of the souls. There was a fight between Bar-Jesus and Sergius. You know why? 
Because I uh, understand that bar Jesus, which just, you know, bar Jesus actually means, I forgot to tell you, but it just, it's almost, it is blasphemous. It, it means son of salvation, bar Jesus, son of Jesus. He was not the son of Jesus. He was, frankly, he was, as Paul said, he's the son of the devil. He played it played on words there. In fact, he was just, he mimicked the words of Jesus in John eight forty four. He says, your father is the devil. And you want, you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, he speaks a lie and is of his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. Antioch produced bold leaders. Guys, we might be entering into a season where open pastures and I get that. The, the fight is not over. It might have lessened in certain seasons. It might feel a little lighter maybe in that sense and that's wonderful. Take advantage of that. But do not compromise on the truth. The enemy is gonna, he wants to come in and say, oh, it's a light season. Just relax a little bit. Take a, take a back seat. There, that is never an option for the believer. Ever. We cannot do that. There is a war on the outside for the war on souls, but there's also a war on the inside. There was an internal pressure, and John Mark, as you know, the rest of the story won't go into it. We'll develop that later on, but he deserted them. And I think what we've saw over the years, even in planning this church, is we saw that external war on souls, but there was also the enemies lurking inside the church as well. And we cannot be ignorant of his schemes. But the, the church produced, Antioch produced bold leaders to proclaim truth. And let's be those people. I love what Jonathan Edwards says, there is a false boldness for Christ that only comes from pride. A man rashly exposed himself to the world's dislike and even deliberately provoke its displeasure and yet do so out of pride. True boldness for Christ transcends all. It is, indif- it is indifferent to the displeasure of either friends or foes, boldness enables Christians to forsake all rather than Christ and to prefer to offend all rather to offend him. Let's land there as a church. That God, while he is moving us into new season, he's producing leaders, he's, he's expanding our church, never let that guard down in that sense. Let's just continue to speak truth and do it in love, of course. I want to land on this last quote as we as we close here. I think it's important, guys, as we look at the hub of Antioch. There's no guarantee that just because our name is Antioch, that we'll be like them. It's an everyday choice of everybody in this room. And Erwin Lutzer, who's a I went to Moody Bible Institute in grad school, and he was a pastor there in Chicago and. I love his uh, talk on American revival and the need for it. In one, of his, in one of his books, he says this. He said, sadly, the influence has been in the wrong direction as we see evidence that our culture has begun to permeate our churches. This was written years ago, I think in the 90s. The church is seduced by social agenda of wealth and pleasure and has condoned sinful compromises 
There is a moral decay within the church with highly publicized scandals involving ministers and divorce statistics which are not much better than those outside the church. Think of all that we, all, that we and our churches would have to repent of if a spirit of holiness began to captivate us. How can America be influenced by an inconsistent and hip, hypocritical church? It's just like when Moody said, I mean, uh, Spurgeon said, that if you think you're leading the church and you're not doing it in holiness, then you're not leading anything, even your own life. And so I, while I'm super excited, I'm also sober-minded. I'm excited to move. I'm, because it's God. I'm excited for whatever he's up for. <laughs> and if this is the season that he would want us to move which it seems apparent both to the Holy Spirit and to us that we're called to move. And it is exciting. We get to be there till 2 p.m., not 1, so it's, we'll have a little bit more time. Uh, we won't be rushed out of the place. But we have room to grow and enjoy each other. There's room to grow in the Lord in depth. There's room to grow in the Lord with, in each, with each other in fellowship. And also to recommit that calling of Antioch being a hub for the nations. And that we cannot be people who are sidelined. God will simply not use the sidelined. He'll use the moving target. He'll use those who are already doing something in the kingdom. And some of us feel here, we're like, yeah, you know, I, I want to be called. I want to be in. Then just be in. Do, just be doing something. Go, go on campus and share the gospel. There's so many different things you guys can be involved in. I think we do evangelism almost every week. It's amazing. I hear testimonies weekly about people coming to Christ. Amazing. People that are hungry, coming from different nations. In fact, there were a few just, I mean, Caleb is on campus and they do on Friday, fun day, they, they all gather together on campus. I think on Tuesdays are more the formal days, Tuesday and Friday, but they're on campus all the time sharing. Even as young adults and families, if you get your lunch break, just go and find them. Even for those in the workplace, just find if you're if you're in the area and you work in the area, find out who works near you and have lunch with them. Maybe even go for walks and pray in our city, go for a prayer walk and share the gospel. There's so many different things you can do. But there are going to be those. There will be those who have that calling, that specific calling to go and they can't shake it. They just no matter how much they try to run from him, it just keeps catching up to him because it's God. And I'm hoping that we have more and more. You know, frankly, if I'm honest, I, I don't want to have 850 people in the church because I want to be sending churches all over the world. I'd rather have more churches. I'd rather be a 300, 400 healthy member church and have 300 churches around the world than to be 850 and just sort of exist in America. That just doesn't seem fun to me. But if God wills, and it's his plan to maximize that capacity of 850, then I hope there would be equally 1,000 churches out of this hub. There is an anointing, guys. I think you know this. We have an anointing in three different areas. There is just God. You can see it. People see it. 
in this church that there is such a love for God and his word. There's such a love for each other. People live together all across this city. We live, most of us, I'd say 90 some percent live within the three to five mile radius in this city. It's just amazing. Our footprints are all over it. And equally, this is a very missional church. And I, I think that like that unknown missionary, the true greatness of any church is not how many seats it has and people in them, but how many it sends. Let that be known about us. The true Antioch church in the New Testament, may that be said about us in the 21st century in Orlando. That church doesn't mess around when it comes to missions. That church does not mess around when it comes to passion for Jesus. And it certainly doesn't mess around when it comes for their love for one another. That's who we are. Jesus family mission. Father, we thank you.